With Lee in Virginia by G. A. Henty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Mark Thornton, Miranda, New Zealand. Chapter 19 Free. It was not until late in the afternoon that a white officer entered and ordered the soldiers to conduct the prisoner to the general's tent. What is your name, sir? "'And who are you?' the general asked as he was brought in. "'I hear that you were denounced by Lieutenant Jackson as being a spy, "'and that he addressed you as Vincent Wingfield. "'What have you got to say to the charge?' "'My name is Vincent Wingfield, sir,' Vincent replied quietly. "'I am upon the staff of General Wade Hampton, "'and in pursuance of my duty I came here to learn "'what I could of your movements and intentions.' "'The general was silent for a moment. "'Then, sir,' As you are an officer, you must be well aware of the consequences of being discovered in disguise here. I regret that there is no course open to me but to order you to be shot as a spy tomorrow morning. One of the officers who was standing by the general here whispered to him. Ah, yes, I remember, he said. Are you the same officer, sir, who escaped from Elmira? I am, sir, Vincent replied, and at the same time aided in the escape of the man who denounced me today who then did his best to have me arrested by sending an anonymous letter stating the disguise in which I was making my way through the country. I was not surprised to find that he had carried his treachery further and was now fighting against the men with whom he had formerly served. He deserved the fate that has befallen him, the general said. Still, this does not alter your position. I regret that I must order my sentence to be carried out. I do not blame you, sir. I knew the risks I ran when I accepted the mission. My only regret is that I failed in supplying my general with the information they required. The general then turned to the officer who had brought Vincent up. This officer will remain in charge of your men for tonight, Captain Pierce. You will see that the sentence is carried into effect at daybreak. I need not tell you that a vigilant guard must be placed over him. Vincent was again marched back to the village, but the officer halted the party when he arrived there. "'Stop here a few minutes, Sergeant,' he said. "'That room is required for an officer's quarters. "'I'll look round and find another place.' In a few minutes he returned, and Vincent was conducted to a shed standing in the garden of one of the houses. "'Place one man on guard at the door, and another behind,' he said to the sergeant. "'Let the other two relieve them, and change the watch once an hour.' The sergeant saluted. "'The men have been on duty since daylight, sir, and none of us have anything to eat.' "'Oh, I forgot that,' the officer replied. "'Very well. I will send another party to relieve you at once.' In ten minutes another sergeant and four men arrived at the spot, and Tony and his companions returned to the camp. As soon as Tony had devoured a piece of bread, he left the camp, walked with careless gait through the camps behind, and went on until he reached a village in which were comparatively few soldiers. He went up to a woman who was standing at a door. "'Mrs.' he said. I have got a letter to take, and I am very sure as to the name. Will you kindly tell me what is the address read on this paper? The woman looked at it. Mrs. Grossmith, Worley Farm, near Union. That's about two miles along the road. If you go on, anyone will tell you which is Mrs. Grossmith's. Tony hurried on, for he wanted to get back to the camp before it was dark. He had no difficulty in finding Worley Farm. Now then, what do you want? its owner said sharply as she opened the door in reply to his knock. There's nothing for you here. 
You can look around if you like. It's been all stripped clean days ago, so I tell you. Me no want anything, ma'am. Me have a letter for you. The woman, in surprise, took the note and opened it. She read it through and looked earnestly at Tony. He says you are to be trusted, she said. Is that so? I would give my life for him twenty times over, Tony replied. He got me away from a brutal master and brought my wife out of slavery for me. What does he say, ma'am? For the Lord's sake, tell me. Perhaps he tell me how to get him clear. The woman read out the contents of the note. That's it, missus. Sure enough, that's the way, he exclaimed in delight. Me think and think all day, and no manage to think of anything except to shoot the sentry and fight with the others, and get him out. But then all the other soldiers come running down, and no escape chance. If me can get the spirits, that's easy enough. Me make them all drunk as hogs. I can give you that, the woman said. Is there anything else you will want? What are you going to do with them if you get him free? They will hunt you down like vermin. I thought we might get down to the river and get over somehow. There'll be no trouble getting over the cavalry. They have them on every road. Well, you want some clothes, anyhow. You can't go about in these soldier clothes. The first yank you come across would shoot you for a deserter, and the first of our men as a traitor. Well, by the time you get back tonight, that is, if you do come back, I will get up a chest I've got buried with my man's clothes in it. Didn't want to take them away to war with them, so I hid them up. She had by this time dug up the keg from its hiding place, and now filled Tony's canteen. Thank you, missus. The Lord bless you for what you've done. Whether I get Master Wingfield off or whether we both get killed over the job, but I must get back fast as I can. If it was dark before I got to camp, they would wonder where I'd been. Oh, you've plenty of time, the woman said. It won't be dark till eight o'clock, and it's not seven yet. I will set to and boil a good chunk of pork and bake some cakes. It's no use getting out of the hands of the Yanks and then going again starved in the swamps. Directly Tony got back to his regiment, he strolled over to the shed where Vincent was confined. Two sentinels were on duty. The sergeant and the two other men were lying at full length on the ground some twenty yards away. The muskets were beside them, and it was evident to Tony by the vigilant watch that they kept upon the shed that their responsibility waited heavily upon them, and that Captain Pierce had impressed upon them that if the prisoner escaped, they would certainly be shot. "'Well, Sergeant John Newson,' Tony began, "'I've just walked over to see how you're getting on. "'And my responsible business, this. "'I had six hours with him, "'and it made the perspiration run round me back "'to think what a job it would be for me "'if that fellow was to run away.' "'That's just what this child feels, Sergeant Tony Morris. "'I'm exactly like that, "'and that's what these men feel, too. "'Well, I'm all on guard.' The captain say, put your guard on the shed, and to let the others relieve them every hour. So they shall. But those of duty must watch just the same. When it gets dark, we get close up, so as to be ready to jump in directly we hear a stir. This fellow no fool us. That's the way, Sergeant Newson. That am the way. Never close your eye, but keep a sharp look on them. It's a pity that you're not in camp tonight. How am dat? How am dat? The sergeant asked. To tell you the truth, Sergeant. Three or four of us had smuggled in some spirits, and you're one of those who would come in for a share of it if you'd been there. Golly! the sergeant exclaimed. But that is very unfortunate. Can't you manage to bring me a little here? Well, you know, it's difficult to get out of the camp. Oh, you could come true. There's no fear of your being caught. I don't know, Tony replied with an air of reluctance. Well, I will see about it. If I can crawl through the sentries and bring some for you and the others, I will. 
It will help you keep awake and keep out the damp. That's right down good of you, the other said cordially. You're a good man, Tony Morris, and if I can do as much the same for you some other time, I'd do it. Having settled this, Tony went round to the hospital tent in rear of the regiment, having tied up his face with a handkerchief. "'Well, what is it, Sergeant?' the negro, who acted as an orderly and sometimes helped the surgeon mix his drugs, asked. "'The doctor am gone away, and I don't expect to come back again to-night.' a very bad thing,' Tony said dolefully. "'Can't you do something for me, Sam Smith? I think you know quite as much as me about the medicines as the doctor himself do.' "'Not quite so much, Sergeant, not quite so much. "'But I see no fault. "'My old mother, she used to make medicine for the plantation, "'and knew a heap about herbs, "'so I'm natural that I should take to it. "'What can I give you?' "'Well, Sam, you see, sometimes I's afflicted dreadful with the face ache. "'Just go jump, 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 as if he bust right up. "'Most times I find the best thing I'm to put a little lobin on my mouth "'and a little bit on the rag and put him outside.' The best thing would be you to give me a little bottle of him. Then when the paint come, on I could just just take him, and not be troubling you every day. And Sam, just you whisper. I got hold of a little good stuff. You give me a tin mug, me share what I got with you. The negro grinned with delight, and going into the tent brought out a tin mug. That's all right, Sam, but you have brought no bottle of laudanum too. You just fetch that, and I give you the spirit. The negro went in again and in two minutes returned with a small bottle of laudanum. "'There's a fair exchange,' Tony said, taking it and handing to the man his mug half full of spirit. "'Dad, I'm something like,' the black said, looking with delight at the liberal allowance. "'Me drink him in last thing at night. Then me go to sleep, and no one spect nothing. Wherever you get that spirit?' "'Never you mind, Sam,' Tony said with a grin. "'There's more where that comes from, and maybe you get another taste of it.' Then, after leaving the hospital tent, he poured half the spirits away, for he had not now to depend upon the effect of that alone, and it were better not to give it too strong, for that might arouse the suspicion of the guard. Then he uncorked the bottle of laudanum. "'I don't know how much to give,' he said to himself. "'No good to kill him. Me don't expect to stop very strong. These rogues sell all sort of stuff to the government. Anything good enough for the soldier. They give him rotten boots and rotten cloth and bad powder.' and all sorts of things. I expect they give him bad drugs, too. However, me risk it. This bottle not very big, anyhow. Won't hold more than two or three teaspoons. Must risk him. So saying, he poured the contents of the vial into the canteen, and then going to a water-cart, filled it up. He waited until the camp was quiet, and then, taking off his boots and fastening in his belt his own bayonet and that of one of the men sleeping near, he quietly and cautiously made his way out of camp, there were no sentries placed here, for there was no fear whatever of an attack, and he had little difficulty in making his way round to the back of the village to the spot where Vincent was confined. He moved so quietly that he was not perceived until he was within a few yards of the shed. "'Sergeant Newton, am you there?' "'Bless me, what a start you have given me for sure,' the sergeant said. "'I didn't know you coming.' "'You didn't suppose I was coming along shouting and whistling, Sergeant Newsom?' Don't you talk so loud. There am no saying who's about. Have you brought the stuff? You don't suppose I should have come all this way to tell you I'd not got it? How am the prisoner? Oh, he's there, all right. My orders was to look in a little window every five minutes, and that when it began to get dark, me was the time quite tight, and me has done so. One of the sentry goes in every five minutes and feels to see if the ropes are tight. 
am da, sure enough. That's quite right, Sergeant Newsom. I know when you come here the captain knew what he was doing when he chose you for this job. He just pick out the man he considers the very best in the regiment. Now, here's the spirit, and first-rate stuff it am too. Golly, but it am strong, the sergeant said, taking a long gulp at the canteen. Dad warmed the cockles up the heart in no time. Yes, it am good stuff. Just a thing for this damper. I hear it's a lot of the white soldiers are down with the feeder already, and there'll be lots and lots more if we stop here long. Here, you two men, take a drink of this. But mind, you must tell no one about it. Tis a secret affair. The two negroes each took a long drink and returned the canteen with warm expressions of approval. The other men are on duty, the sergeant said with the air of a man who knew his business. They mustn't have none of it, none till he come off. As we are the relief, it am proper and right that we drunk could drop out of the canteen if we want it. Quite so, Sergeant Newson, Tony said in a tone of admiration. That's the way to manage these things, duty first and pleasure afterward. It am nearly time to relieve guard, the other said, and then they can have a drink. In five minutes the two soldiers relieved those on guard, and they also took a long drink at the canteen, to which the sergeant also again applied his lips. "'Now, I must be going,' Tony said. "'I'll leave the canteen for you, sergeant. I've got some more of the stuff over there, and I dare say you will like another drink before morning.' So saying, he stole away, but halted and lay down twenty yards distant. In ten minutes he heard the sergeant say, "'I feel as if I could just do five minutes' sleep.' You keep your eyes on the shed, and if you hear any officer coming his rounds, you wake me up. Tony waited another half an hour, and then crawled up. The sergeant was lying on his back, sound asleep. The two men with him on their faces, with their rifles pointing towards the shed, as if they dropped off to sleep while they were staring at it. Then he crawled onto the shed. The soldier on sentry at the back had grounded his musket and was leaning against the shed, fast asleep, while the one at the door had apparently slid down in a sitting position and was snoring. "'I hope I haven't been giving it to them too strong,' Tony said to himself. "'But it can't be helped anyhow.' He opened the door and entered the shed. "'Are you awake, Mas Wingfield?' "'Yes, I am awake, Tony. Thank God you've come. How did you manage it?' "'I managed it, sir, and dear old fast asleep,' Tony said as he cut the ropes which bound Vincent. "'Now, sir, let's be going quick.' Though I'm no saying when they might come round to look after the guards. That's what I've been worrying about the last quarter of an hour. Vincent sprang to his feet as the ropes fell from him and grasped Tony's hand. Here I'm a bayonet, sir. I hope we shan't want to use them, but I'm no saying. They made their way cautiously across the fields till they approached another camp. A few sentries were walking up and down in front of it, but they crawled round these and passed through the space between the regiment and that next to it. Several other camps were passed, and then, when Vincent knew that they were well in rear of the whole of them, they rose to their feet and started forward at a run. Suddenly Tony touched Vincent, and they both stood still. A distant shout came through the air, followed by another, and another. "'I expect they have found out we've gone, sir. They go round two or three times in the night to see that the sentries are awake. Now, sir, come along!' They were on the road now, and ran at full speed until they approached Union. They left the track as they neared the village, and as they did so they heard the sound of a horse at full gallop behind them. "'That's an orderly taking the news of our escape. Sheridan's cavalry are all scattered all over the country, and there are two squadrons at Union Grove. The whole country will be alive at daybreak.' 
Making their way through the fields, they soon struck the track leading to Worley Farm, and in a few minutes were at the door. The woman opened it at once. "'I've been watching for you,' she said, "'and I'm real glad you got safe away. Wait a minute, and I will strike a light.' "'You'd better not do that,' Vincent said. "'They've got the alarm at Union Grove already, and if anyone caught sight of a light appearing in your window, it would bring them down here at once.' "'They can't see the house from Union,' the woman said. "'Still, perhaps it will be best. Now, sir, I can't do anything for you, because my men's clothes are all the same sort of cut as yours. But here's the suit for this man.' Thanking her warmly, Vincent handed the things to Tony. "'Make haste and slip them on, Tony, and make your other things up into a bundle, and bring them with you for a bit. We must leave nothing here, for they will search the whole country to-morrow. We will take the horse away, too. Not that we want it, but it would never do for it to be found here.' "'Will you take your letter again?' the woman asked. "'No, I will leave it with you. It will be no use now if I get through. But if you hear to-morrow or the next day that I am caught, please carry it as we arranged.' "'What is this?' he asked as the woman handed him a bundle. "'Here are eight or ten pounds of pork,' she said, "'and some corn-cakes. If you are hiding away, you'll want something, and I reckon anyhow you won't be able to make your way to our people for a bit. Now, if you are ready, I'll start with you.' "'You will start with us,' Vincent repeated in surprise. "'Certainly I will start with you,' the woman said. "'How do you think you'd be able to find your way on a dark night like this? No, sir, I will put you on your way till morning. But, in the first place, which line do you mean to take?' "'I do not think there is much chance of getting back the way we came,' Vincent said. "'By morning Sheridan's cavalry will have got a description of me, and they will be scouring the whole country.' The only chance will be go north and cross the river somewhere near Norfolk. I think, sir, you'd better go on with your horse at once. No use wait for me. I come along on foot, find my own way. No, Tony, I shall certainly not do that. We will either get off or be taken together. Well, I think the best plan will be to go straight down to the river. How far is it away? About fifteen miles, the woman said. If we got there, we can get hold of a boat somehow, and either cross and then make straight for Richmond on foot, or go up the river in the boat and land in the rear of our lines. That we can settle about afterwards. The first thing is to get to the river bank. We're not likely to meet with any interruption in that direction. Of course, the cavalry are all on the other flank, and it will be supposed that I shall try either to work round that way or to make straight through the lines. They would hardly suspect that I shall take to the river which is covered with their transports and storeships. "'I think that is the best plan,' the woman said. "'There are scarce any villages between this and the river. It is only just when you cross the road between Petersburg and Williamsburg that you will be likely to meet a soul, even in the daytime. There is scarce even a farmhouse across this section. I know the country pretty well. Just stop a minute, and I will run up to the wood and fetch down the horse. There is a big wood about a mile away and you can turn him in there. A few minutes later they started, Vincent leading the horse and Tony carrying the bundles of food in his cast-off uniform. The woman led them by farm roads, sometimes turning off to the right or left, but keeping her way with a certainty which showed how well she was acquainted with the country. Several times they could hear the dull sound of bodies of cavalry galloping along the roads, but this died away as they got further into the country. The horse had been turned loose a mile from their starting place. Vincent removed the bridle and saddle, saying, "'He will pick up enough feed on here for some time. When he gets tired of the wood he can work his way out into a clearing.' 
Here Tony hid away his uniform among some thick bushes, and the three walked steadily along until the first tinge of daylight appeared on the sky. Then the woman stopped. "'The river is not more than half a mile in front of you,' she said, "'so I will say good-bye.' "'What will you do?' Vincent asked. "'You might be questioned as you get near home.' "'I'm going to put up the last house we passed,' she said, "'about three miles back. I know the people there, and they will take me in. I will stop there for a day or two, maybe, then walk back, so I shall have a true story to tell.' "'That's all right.' Vincent said good-bye to her, with many hearty thanks for the services she had rendered him, and had almost to force her to take notes for two hundred dollars from the bundle he had sewn up in the lining of his coat. "'You have saved my life,' he said, "'and some day I hope to be able to do more to show my gratitude. But you must take this, anyhow, to tide you over the hard times, and find food for your husband and sons when they come back from the war.' As soon as the woman had turned back, Vincent and Tony continued on their way. The former had, as soon as they were fairly out from the federal camp, told Tony in a few words that his wife was safe at home and their boy flourishing, and he now gave him further details of them. "'And how came you to enter the army, Tony?' "'Well, sir, there was much choice about it. The northern people, they talk mighty high about their love for the negro, but I don't see much of it in their ways. Why, sir?' There's twice as scornful of a black man as the gentleman is in the South. I list in the army, sir, because they say they go to Richmond, and then I find Dinah and the boy. Well, Tony, I little thought when I did you a service that it would be the means of you being able to save my life one day. Not much in that, sir. You saved my life because they would for sure have caught me and killed me. Then you saved my wife for me, then you pay out Dad Jackson, and now you have killed him. I could have shouted for joy, sir, when I saw you hit him over the head with the shovel, and I saw that this time he'd give no more trouble to no one. I should have done for him very soon, sir. I had my eye upon him, and the first time we go into battle he get a ball in the back. Lucky he didn't see me. He not officer of my company, and me looking quite different in the uniform to what me was when I was on the plantation. But I know him, and whenever I see him pass, I hung down my head and I say to myself, my time come soon, Massa Jackson. My time come very soon, and then we gets quits. It is wrong to nourish revenge, Tony, but I really can't blame you very much as to that fellow. Still, I should have blamed you if you had killed him. Blamed you very much. He was a bad man, and he treated you brutally. But you see he has already been punished a good deal. Yes, you knock him down, sir. That very good. But not enough for Tony. But that wasn't all, Tony. You see... The affair set all my friends against him, and his position became a very unpleasant one. Then, you see, if it hadn't been for you, he would probably have got through our lines again after he escaped with me. Then, you see, his father, out of revenge, stole Dinah away. "'Stole Dinah!' Tony exclaimed, stopping in his work. "'Why, sir, you have been telling me that she is safe and well with Mrs. Wigfield.' "'So she is, Tony, but he stole her for all that, and had her carried down into Carolina. But I managed to bring her back.' It's a long story, but I will tell you about it presently. Then the knowledge that I found Dinah, and the fear of punishment for his share of taking her away, caused old Jackson to fly from the country, getting less than a quarter of the sum his estate would have fetched two or three years ago. That was what made him and his son turn unionists. So, you see, Jackson was heavily punished for his conduct to you, and it did not need for you to revenge yourself. So he was, sir, so he was, Tony said thoughtfully. Yes. 
It does seem as if these things came on kind of one after the other just out of that flogging he gave me. And now he has got killed for just the same cause. If he hadn't been obliged to turn Unionist, he wouldn't have been in that there battery at the time you came there. Yes, I sees that is so, sir, and I's glad now I didn't have a chance of shooting him down, for I should have done so for sure if I had. They had now reached the river. The sun was just showing above the horizon, and the broad sheet of water was already astir. Steamers were making their way up from the mouth of the river, laden with stores for the army. Little tugs were hurrying to and fro. Vessels that had discharged their cargo were dropping down with the tide, while many sailing vessels lay at anchor, waiting for the turn of tide to make their way higher up. Norfolk was, however, the base from which the Federal Army drew the larger portion of its stores, as there were great conveniences for landing here, and a railway thence ran up to the rear of their lines. But temporary wharfs and stages had been erected at the point of the river nearest to the camps in front of Petersburg, and here the cattle and much of the stores required for the army were landed. At the point at which Vincent and Tony had struck the river, the banks were somewhat low. Here and there were snug farms, with the ground cultivated down to the river. The whole country was open and free from trees, except where small patches had been left. It was in front of one of these that Vincent and Tony were now standing. "'I do not think there is any risk of pursuit now, Tony. This is not the line on which they will be hunting us.' question is, how are we to get across? It's too far to swim, sir. I should think it was, Vincent said with a laugh. It's three or four miles, I should say, if it's a foot. The first question is, where are we to get a boat? I should think that some of these farmhouses are sure to have boats, but the chances are they've been seized by the Yankees long ago. Still, they may have some laid up. The Yanks would not have made much search for these, though they would no doubt take all the larger boats for the use of troops or for getting stores ashore. Anyhow, I'll go to the next farmhouse and ask. Should I go, sir? No, Tony. They would probably take you for a runaway. No, I will go. There can be no danger. The men are all away and the women are sure to be loyal. I fancy the few who were the other way before will have changed their minds since the Yanks landed. They followed the bank of the river for a quarter of a mile and then Vincent walked on to a small farmhouse standing on the slope fifty yards from the water. Two or three children who were playing about outside at once ran in upon seeing a stranger, and a moment later two women came out. They were somewhat reassured when they saw Vincent approaching alone. "'What is it, stranger?' one of them asked. "'Do you want a meal? We've got little enough to offer you, but what there is you're welcome to.' The Yanks have driven off our cows and pigs and the two horses, and have emptied the barns, and pulled up all the garden stuff, and stole the fowls, and carried off the bacon from the beams, so we've got but an empty larder. But as far as bread and molasses go, you're welcome. Thank you, Vincent said. I'm not in want of food. What I am in want of is a boat. Boat? the woman repeated in surprise. Yes. I want to get across to the other side, or else get up the river and land between Petersburg and Bermuda. "'Sakes alive!' the woman exclaimed. "'What do you want to do that for?' "'I will tell you,' Vincent replied. "'I know I can trust my life to any woman in the Confederacy. I am one of General Wade Hampton's officers, and I have come through their lines to find out what they are doing. I have been caught once, but managed to slip through their hands, but there is no possibility of making my way back across the country.' for the Yankee cavalry are patrolling every road, and the only chance I have is of getting away by boat. "'Step right in, sir,' the woman said. 
it's a real pleasure to have us one of our officers under our roof i have a friend with me vincent said a faithful negro who has helped me to escape and who would be hung like a dog if they could lay hands on him bring him in sir the woman said hospitably i had four or five niggers till the yanks came but they all ran away because they knew they would either be set to work or made to fight so they went they said they would come back again when the trouble is over maybe they will and maybe they won't at first the niggers about here used to look for the yanks coming but as the news got about of what happened to those they took from their masters they concluded they were better off where they were call your boy in sir call him in vincent gave a shout and tony came up at once thank you we don't want anything to eat vincent went on as the woman began to put some plates on the table we've just had a hearty meal and have got enough food for three or four days in that bundle but we want a boat or if we can't find that some sailors clothes if i had them i would keep along the river down to norfolk the place will be full of sailors we should not be likely to be noticed there i can't help you in that the woman said but there are certainly some boats laid up along the shore now maria who's got boats that haven't been taken i expect the johnsons have got one the other woman replied they had a small boat the boys and girls used to go out fishing in i don't think the yanks have got that i expect they hid it away somewhere but i don't know as they will let you have it she's a close-fisted woman is sarah johnson i could pay her for its value vincent said oh well if you could pay her she would let you have it i don't say she wouldn't anyhow seeing as you're an officer and the yanks are after you still she is close is sarah johnson and i don't know as she is so set on the confederacy as most people i tell you what i will do sir i will go down and say a stranger wants to buy her boat and no questions asked she is just to show where the boat is hidden and you are to pay for it and take it away when you want it that would be a very good plan vincent said if you wouldn't mind the trouble the trouble is nothing she said johnson's place ain't above a mile along the shore i'll go with you until you get close to the house vincent said then when you hear what she wants for the boat i'll give you the money for it and you can show me where it is hidden this was accordingly done mrs johnson after a considerable amount of bargaining with vincent's guide agreed to take twenty dollars for the boat and upon receiving the money sent down one of her boys with her to show her where it was hidden it was in a hole that had been scooped out in the steep bank some ten feet above the water's edge and was completely hidden from the sight of any one rowing past by a small clump of bushes when the boys had returned to the farmhouse the woman took vincent to the spot and then they went back together here he and tony had a long talk as to whether it would be better to put out at once or to wait till nightfall it was finally determined that it was best to make an immediate start a boat rowed by two men would attract little attention it might belong to any of the ships at anchor in the river and might be supposed to have gone on shore to fetch eggs or chickens or with a letter or a message you see both shores are in the hands of the yankees vincent said and there will not be any suspicion of a boat in the daytime at night we might be hailed and if we gave no answer fired upon and that might bring a gunboat along to see what was the matter no i think it would be best to go along boldly there are not likely to be any bodies of federal troops on the opposite shore except at fortress monroe and perhaps opposite the point where they've got their landing below petersburg hmm. once ashore we shall be safe the peninsula opposite is covered with forest and swamp 
and we shall have no difficulty in getting through, however many troops they may have sent across. You know the place pretty well, don't you, Tony? Tony nodded. Once across, sir, or the Yank army won't catch us. Me no lots of hiding places. Them broad hats will never do, the woman said. But I've got some blue nightcaps I knitted for my husband. There's something like the caps I've seen some sailors wear, anyhow. They will pass at a distance, and when you take your coats and vests off, them coloured flannel shirts will be just the right thing. That will do capitally, and the sooner we're off the better, Vincent said, and after heartily thanking the two women and bestowing a present upon each of the children, they started along the shore. The boat was soon got into the water, the oars put out, and they started. The tide was just low now, and they agreed to pull along at a short distance from the shore until it turned. As soon as it did so, the vessel's anchor would be getting up sail to make up to the landing-place, and even had anyone on board noticed the boat put out and had been watching it, they would have other things to think about. "'It is some time since we last rode in a boat together, Tony.' "'About three years, sir. That time when you got me safe away.' I had a bad fright that day you left me, sir. It came on to blow very hard, and some of the men told me that they not think you would ever get back to the shore. That made me awful bad, sir, and me wish over and over again that me have died in the forest instead of you taking me off in a boat and throwing away your life. I never felt happy again, sir, till I got your letter up in Canada, and knew you had got back safe that day. We had a narrow squeak of it, Tony, and were blown some distance up. We were nearly swamped a score of times, and Dan quite made up his mind that it was all up with us. However, we got through safe, and I don't think a soul, except perhaps Jackson and that rascally overseer of ours, who afterwards had a hand in carrying off your wife, and lost his life in consequence, ever had a suspicion we had been doing more than a long fishing expedition. I will tell you all about it when we get going through the woods. Now I think it's pretty nearly dead water, and we will begin to edge across. End of chapter 19